pray. Father, as we open your word together, we pray to receive. Pray to have a focus on hearing from your word and from your spirit uh, that we might come to know you better, we might be encouraged in our faith, and we might be challenged as we walk out of here to live differently for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Something happened on May 6th, 2015 that many people don't know about, um, but it was kind of interesting. The Harlem Globetrotters made Pope Francis an honorary Globetrotter. (laughs) They gave him a jersey. It has a number 90 on it because they're celebrating. At that point, they were celebrating their 90th year. Um, They have it all framed and everything. And as he stood around with them, they even spun a ball on their finger and tried to put it on the Pope's finger. Um, He didn't do great. Uh, He kind of got on and just fell off. And then he looked a little embarrassed in the video. (laughs) And so he didn't want to do it again. But they really wanted him to do it again. So they tried it again, and it had the same result. It fell off again. Um, But he was made an honorary globetrotter. But that's all it is. It was an honorary designation. Um, He couldn't spin the ball. And, I don't know, he stood around these guys, and he's like, you know, a foot shorter than everybody standing around there. And um, he clearly was not going to play the same level that they were doing. Um, It was an honorary title. Sometimes I wonder if our Christian identity is nothing more than an honorary title for some of us, maybe most of us, that we're really good at thinking about this is who I am or who God says I am or what the scriptures say is true of me, and yet it doesn't go much further than that. It's almost as if you're handed a jersey, and his is funny because it actually says the Pope on it, (laughs) you know. It's as if you're handed this kind of jersey that's framed and it says, a Jesus follower. Um, And then that's just kind of stored somewhere. And what Paul says as we continue in Romans, it's more than that. And if we're going to live the way he calls us to live, it has to be more than that. It can't just be an honorary title. It needs to be an identity that we embrace. So if you want to grab a Bible, um, we're going to be in it a little bit today. Uh, Romans chapter 6, it is on page 1606. Grab one of those pew Bibles, turn to page 1606. Romans chapter 6, we're starting right there in verse 1. And here's the first thing we're going to get as we go through this. When you embrace who you really are in Jesus, there is a new possibility of how to live. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Uh, Paul does that a lot. He likes to use questions. 
Um, he will bring a thought to a close, and then he'll say, now, what shall we say about this? And then he kind of answered that. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Um, that's an interesting question. It comes out of chapter 5, which we did not study, but here's the basic idea. Paul has just said, no matter what your sin is, God's grace is greater. It can always overcome whatever your sin is. So then Paul asks this question, well, should we go ahead and just keep sending that? Right? Because then God keeps giving us grace, and that would be glory for him, and we get to keep living in sin, right? Because <laughs> God's grace will just keep covering it. Um, should we do that? That's his question. By no means, he responds in verse 2, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Um, and, and here's his point. All right? I mean, this is, you need to be really crystal clear on this. When he says we have died to sin, he does not mean sin has ceased to exist. Sin is still present. The rest of Romans will show us that. However, its power has been diminished. He'll describe it in a few moments, and we'll see it in these verses as being set free. Let's keep going, and then we'll talk about that. Um, How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know, I love the question, it's as if Paul says, now wait a minute, maybe you're not aware of something. Let me explain something to you about who you are in Jesus. Maybe you don't know this, but let me tell you, all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, new possibilities, something you could not do before Christ. The image, he uses baptism, and it is talking about baptism. However, what you need to know is that when Paul was writing this, you would have been hard-pressed to find a Christian that wasn't baptized. It was such a normal part of coming to Jesus. Even though today you may find tons of people who have said, I believe in Jesus, but have never been baptized. You wouldn't have found that there. And the point is this. He's not making any kind of theology about baptism here. Here's what he's trying to say. For those who have trusted in Christ, you've been united to him. As he died, you did too. And then you've been raised just like he's been raised. A little more information. He keeps going. Um, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know our old self was crucified with him, so the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Here is Paul's major thing about identity. When you trust Christ, you're united to him. What he goes through, you go through. He died to sin, and a little more information in a moment on that. He died to sin, but then he rose again. He has a new life. Sin no longer has any mastery over somebody who has died and risen. Now, the language is important. Mastery. Control. Again, sin is present, but it does not control you any longer. A number of years ago, before we had kids, 
Aaron and I had an apartment, and we had a bird as a pet. Um, we kept our bird, like you keep most birds, in a cage, um, which seems very, very sad for a bird because, you know, they're born with wings. And keeping them in a cage means they can't do the very thing they're designed to do. However, our bird would roam around our apartment and stuff, and he'd sit on our shoulder. And, and one day, he was sitting on Aaron's shoulder, and both of us are talking, and we kind of forgot the bird was there because he's just a good bird and he'd just sit there. And so we walked outside. And we're talking, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, um, the bird is on your shoulders. The bird is no longer on your shoulders. And he took off. Um, bird was up in the air. Now, this apartment complex, they were two stories. This bird is just flying around the top of this apartment complex, and we are chasing it on the ground. We're just waiting for it to tweet. Tweet, oh, there it is, and we're charging after it. No, it's over here, and we're going over here, just going after this bird until it landed on the roof. Then I went up, knocked on someone's door, and said something to them I'm sure they'd never had said to them before. May I please get on your balcony? My bird is on your roof. <laughs> and they let me in, and I went in there, and I get up on the balcony as carefully as I can. Wow, I don't know that I could do that now. <laughs> I was young and dumb. Um, it was a long way down. And I reached up my finger, and he hopped on my finger, got him down, and we got him back to the apartment and back into his cage. <laughs> Take that, dumb bird. Um, you knew freedom for a moment. <laughs> um, but that's kind of the point, and it's also the picture that Paul has. That bird was set free. There was still a cage. Um, there was still an apartment. There. That bird was flying around doing things it could never have done inside our apartment. It had a freedom it did not have before. Why would it ever want to go back in the cage? That's what Paul is saying. You have died to sin, or at least to its power, why would you ever want it to have control over you again? You are free. Now, what does that mean, right? He gives two little things. Here's what it means. Back into the text. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Um, first thing is this. Notice that's future. If we've died with him, we will also live with him. This is something that is absolutely recognized by Paul and the scriptures. There is a truth about us that is not fully known yet. Because until we are with him, until we are fully redeemed, fully renewed, sin's presence is still here, there's still a power. Yet, it looks something like this. Right? This image really helped me with this idea. Um, I have, as you all know, my first child who's going to college soon. We went and visited a college. She really liked it. It was a great college. There's a chance she'll go there. All right, this year, we'll end up determining that. But here's what's going to happen. If she decides to go there, she's going to apply. They're going to accept her. If they don't, I'm going to go talk to them. They will accept her. Um, no, they will. Um, her grades, everything, she's amazing. They're going to accept her. But they're going to accept her they're going to start interacting with her as if she's already there. We're going to start planning as if she's going to be there. The reality of her being there is going to absolutely impact 
She's going to be wearing a shirt that says University of Northern Colorado on it. We're going to be looking at classes. We're going to be buying things that are going to be part of that. We're going to be thinking about how to get her there. We're going to be thinking about how to get her home for Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas and every weekend that I can get her home. And I mean, just, you know, far more than she's going to want to come home. But, and yet, until the following fall, she won't actually be on the campus as a student. That's us right now. The reality of those who trust in Christ is there is total freedom coming. There is absolute renewal of who you are, of this falling, decrepit body, all of it, in a whole new heavens and earth. I mean, all of it. It's not fully here yet. But Paul says we need to live as if it is, because it is more real than the Pope being a Harlem Globetrotter. It's not just this honorary thing. You really have been set free, even though you have to struggle against the presence. You really are united with Christ. Um, His explanation, his application, which is the last thing we're going to cover, depends on that. So, number one, even though it's a future thing, there's a very present, real reality right now that he wants us to have. And then keep going in the text. Verse 9, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives continually to God. All right, this is a final bit of theology. Here's the overall picture. The only penalty, the only thing that sin ultimately does is death. At the end of verse six, chapter 6, he'll even say the wages of sin is death. But once you die, sin has no more power because there's nothing else it can do. It can take your life, but nothing else. So if you die, sin has no power. Christ died, and he did it once for all because death can only happen one time. When he comes back to life, he now lives forever without the power of sin in his life anymore at all. You and I right now, we live into that reality. He has died and he's made us free. We can now be free, but will we? And so then Paul gets to this application, and this is where we'll end. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves. The word means to calculate And then based off of that calculation, draw a conclusion. And the calculation is, this is what Jesus has done, and this is who we are in him. Therefore, reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. Um, And then he wants to do something, but I need to tell you a story. It's going to illustrate this before we actually dive into that. This past week, I had to take one of my kids to Iowa City. And that morning, I was really trying to get him out of the house because we had to be there at a certain time. And I'll just let you know, I take my kids to school daily, and we're almost always late. Um, And it just is that thing. But this time, we had to be somewhere, so I wanted to get him out of the house. But before we could go to Iowa City, I had to drop off my youngest. So 10 minutes before we got in the van, my youngest is like, I'm going to go get in the van. So my four-year-old goes out in the garage, he gets in the van, and hooks himself up. I'm spending all of my time just trying to get my other kid out the door. 
That's what I'm focused on. Get him out the door. So we were a little late, not too bad. But we pull up to drop off the youngest kid. And I look over, and the first thing I notice, I left his backpack at home. Guess what's in his backpack? His lunch. But I have no time to go back and get that right now. So I'm like, ugh, I guess I'll ask Kira to bring the, the backpack and the lunch. So then I get out, and I reach back to unclip him so he can get out. And I realize he has no shoes on. And there are no shoes in the car. No backpack, no lunch, no shoes. As he gets out, I'm looking at him going, his shorts are on backwards. His shorts are on backwards. He has no shoes. He has no backpack. He has no lunch. Do you know why? Because the human mind is not designed to multitask. I could only focus on one kid. It really is not designed to multitask. And there are so many studies being done on this right now that the human brain, it doesn't actually focus on two different things. What it's learned to do is move between things really quickly. Um, there's a study that was being done at the University of Michigan where they were putting somebody in an MRI machine, scanning the brain, and studying what was happening, and here was the test they were doing. The test was they would show an image of two numbers that were both red. They had to determine which one was the higher number. Or they would show a picture of one green number and one red number, and they had to determine which font was bigger. Here's what they would do. If you showed the double reds multiple times in a row, the responses were relatively quick. The moment you threw up the green and red, the brain paused because it had to refocus. Show green, red, show green, show red, red, it paused again to refocus. The illustration that was given was something like this. If you were looking for a friend, you're standing on a street corner and you're looking for a friend and you're told you don't know which direction he's coming from, he'll be wearing a red scarf. But then you're looking for another friend who's wearing a blue scarf and a third friend who's wearing a red, uh, green scarf. Your brain may miss one of them because you cannot look for all three of the colors at one time. You'll just switch between them. Where's the red? Where's the blue? Where's the green? Where's the red? And if the blue happens to walk by, we cannot multitask. Now, we all know this in a different way. Have you ever said this to yourself? I am so bored, I wish I could make time go faster. Maybe your plane got delayed and you got four hours in the airport. Maybe you're waiting for Christmas morning and you needed to get here faster. But you're waiting. What do you do in those moments? Ever heard, said this? I got to get my mind off this. That's exactly what you're doing. You're getting your mind off of that. And if it works, like if you're in the airport and you got four hours, you start playing cards and you're really into the card game, you may look at your watch and go, oh my gosh, like 30 minutes has gone by. An hour has gone by. If you're not, you look at your watch and go, oh my gosh, a minute has gone by. <laughs> it's felt like an hour. Um, your mind can only focus on one thing. Why am I going to all of this detail? This is how Paul says we are to live. I go back in the text and let me read it to you. Verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Okay, Paul, but how am I supposed to do that? Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Here's what Paul says. I have a choice 
of either being angry at somebody, which often is part of my sinfulness, or being patient. What Paul says is don't go, I'm not going to be angry at you. I'm not going to be angry at you. What Paul says is I want you to focus on being patient. Give yourself over to God. Because if you focus on being patient, if you focus on giving everything you have to God, this part will take care of itself in a way that it won't otherwise. Because you can only focus on one thing. Focus on having empathy for people instead of judging them. Because your brain can only do one or the other. It may not want to switch back and forth, but keep bringing it back. I want to focus on giving myself to God. I don't want to be a slave any longer to this. I don't want sin to control me. I want a better life. And Jesus has made that possible. Offer yourselves to God, all of you, as instruments of righteousness. That's how we fight sin. That's how we live for him. And, and we remember, as Paul said in the beginning, why would you want it any other way? So when I climbed up on that balcony and I reached my finger out for the bird, dumb bird, <laughs> came to my finger, so I put him back in a cage. Um, now, does he get food and shelter? Sure. But he's a bird. <laughs> I mean, the, he gave up his freedom. Do we do the same thing? Do we walk back into the cage? Do we give ourselves over to our sin? Or do we recognize the freedom and say, Lord, I want to serve you. I'm not able to fight sin very well, but I can say, I'm going to do this thing over here for God. Because Jesus has made that possible. That's my message. It's not an honorary title. It's a reality. But you got to live into it. you got to embrace it, accept it, believe it. And there are new possibilities when we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. I am sure there are people in this room who have not fully experienced that freedom. Lord, as we walk out of here today, make it a reality. Help us to embrace that. Help us to make a choice for life and godliness and goodness instead of being a slave to sin. In Jesus' name, amen.